0: Welcome to episode 14 of Behold Her, a podcast that showcases the diverse stories of femme gamers and tabletop RPGs. I'm your host, Lisa Penrose, and you are listening to a very special episode. Our first interviews recorded live as part of a virtual convention called D&D Block Party. I chat with some inspiring black women who are pillars in the TRPG community. First, Latia Keyes chats about taking D&D by storm as a dungeon master, then designer, then streamer, then community manager of the D&D Adventurers League. Whew. Then Abria Iyengar shares her personal RPG journey and pulls the curtain back on what it's like to work at a dice company, Dice Envy. We end this episode with an audio story sponsored by RPG Writer Workshop and written and recorded by Persephone, or at Persephoroth, about breaking the boundaries of fantasy. Do you dream of writing tabletop role-playing content but don't know where to start? Join the RPG Writer Workshop. The workshop invites you to participate in the Write Your First Adventure course, which kicks off on July 1st. Learn how to write, produce, and publish your first one-shot adventure in just one month. They'll help you through each step of the process with engaging lessons, templates, activities, and more. The course is 100% online and can be taken in any time zone. Register now on RPGWriterWorkshop.com and use code BEHOLDHER for $5 off. All right, everybody. You ready? Ready? It's story time. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to D&D Block Party and the first ever live interview for Behold Her podcast. We are joined today by the lovely Latia, who is a goodness D&D writer streamer, community manager for the D&D Adventurers League, I kind of feel like the list of things that you do or don't do, which would right. be shorter <laughs> and easier uh, to list right now. Latia, thanks so much for joining me for Behold Her. Thank
1: you for inviting me. I love the podcast, so of course I'm happy to be on it.
0: <laughs> I've wanted you on the show for a while, so I'm really excited for the excuse to just chat with you and get to know your journey in D&D a little bit better. Sure. So to start us off, how about you tell us, how did you get into tabletop role-playing games?
1: So, it probably, like... It actually started probably right after high school. 3.5 was the thing, and I used 3.5 to create, like, characters for stories that I was writing, but never actually played. And then I think a couple years later, I played my first 3.5 game with my best friend, I was a, a human who did not know that she should not be the first person to go into dark rooms. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it it was hilarious because at the end of the, the game, I realized that I had torches the whole time. So I'm just this bumbling, like, fighter or whatever who's going into rooms and activating all the traps and, you know, That's getting into the shenanigans. That's one way detecting
0: traps. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Getting into all the shenanigans and then realizing that I just could have looked for them with the fire sticks in my pocket. (laughs) (laughs) Fast forward to just before 5e comes out, I'm in a 4e campaign with some friends that kind of broke up when I moved away from where they were. But then 5e came out and release day one, I went to get the player's handbook. And then I actually didn't even play a game until Out of the Abyss came out. So, a little bit of a gap there, but after Out of the Abyss, we kind of took a break from that, and then I found Adventures League in 2017. So, I joined a a couple games at at a comic book store, and that transitioned to me DMing for the first time, which then transitioned to me DMing at conventions which then transitioned into me writing stuff. And now uh, I'm writing more stuff and I'm adminning for Adventures League. And the, like you said, the list just goes on and on. Like I really like sometimes have to stop and sit and think about what all do I do?
0: <laughs> yeah. And it feels like everything really started to snowball in a good way mm-hmm. once you started participating in the Adventurers League. But
1: Yes. I mean, not to, I mean, super shout out to Adventures League and this isn't to promote Adventures League, but it was really like where I found my groove because the community was super nice. And then going to conventions and having everybody, you know, when you DM for the first time, you're like, I did a terrible job. And I went from DMing like like a small table of like five or six to like DMing multiple tables, just like in the span of a year. Like, I think I went from just regular DMing to like, huh, I could do this regularly. Like six months later, I'm DMing six tables at a convention. What?
0: (laughs) (laughs) What do you feel like you learned through DMing? Not just learning to DM for like a group of friends, like a lot of people's first uh, experiences, but learning to DM in an official play setting and then in a convention setting
1: they're not too much different. DMing at conventions, you're kind of on a time crunch because you've got games that are sometimes one right after the other, or you've got a little bit of a break between, but really rolling with it is to to get a little punny here, (laughs) rolling with it is probably one of the quickest things to learn. Because when you're DMing Adventures League, especially, there's a bit of a railroading element because there's certain points that you have to hit and you have to finish the it's technically a one shot. You have to finish the one shot within the allotted time. So there's definitely room to have those really good character moments, but you're also just, you know, stuck within those constraints. But to me, I think what I learned would probably just be, I mean, just have fun Don't be afraid. Like my first big convention, I had to run a table cold with, I think, maybe, maybe 10 minutes of prep. A DM didn't didn't show up for, for their table and I was free. So I was asked to run that table and they were all so patient. It was one of the best tables of the convention. So really just kind of going with that flow and not worrying so much. Like if you've got a good mind for prep and for how the adventures usually go, you can pick it up pretty quickly.
0: So how did you make the transition from DMing a heck of a bunch to mm-hmm. becoming a DD and d designer, a writer? Well,
1: it's funny that you mentioned that. <laughs> when I was DMing for... My primary conventions are GameholeCon and GaryCon because they're local and I don't have to do a lot of traveling. But I mentioned to the admin table at GaryCon one year that I was like, hey, if y'all need any help with anything, let me know. I'm available. I want to help out. And to me, that meant helping at the admin table at conventions. <laughs> that that didn't mean... An, not that it's a bad thing but it it didn't mean hey do you want to write some adventures for us (laughs) but yeah i was approached after gary 2019 to do some writing and that was that was the beginning of it (laughs) what was your immediate reaction upon being asked that i'm not a writer (laughs) i that that was it like i mean absolutely yes but i'm not a writer (laughs) I don't know the first thing about designing a D&D, uh, you know, how to write a and d module, but I don't say no to a lot of things. So I definitely didn't say no to that.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, was it, was it exciting? Was it intimidating?
1: All of those things.
0: <laughs> because... D, all I, of the above. <laughs> yes.
1: D, being a part of the AL community made me want to be a part of the larger D&D community just as a whole. So I was like, whatever I can do to help out or not even get my foot in the door, but I just wanted to be a part of it all, you know? And it turns out that writing was just one of the many ways that I started to do that.
0: So as a designer, it, being a d and designer or writer gets compared to being a DM a lot, because mm-hmm. there are a lot of similarities. There's also a lot of differences. But as a Dungeon Master, I mean, you are a storyteller. Mm-hmm. So you did even, I mean, we all have imposter syndrome, right? So I have days where I'm like, I'm not a writer. <laughs> But you were a storyteller. So as you started writing your first adventure, did that perception of yourself change? Do you feel like you learned any major lessons from that first opportunity? Yes.
1: The the first thing I wrote, which I, I still, I can't talk about yet. I still can't talk about it. I had the idea for it. And it's really surprising how once you just start with that idea and you start putting it like you start writing it down, how the details just kind of start to go. It's like, oh, there's this person and they're looking for something, but you know, you, you start off not knowing where the something is, but then as you begin to like flesh out the people and the world, it's like, oh, that thing's clearly over there. Now, how am I going to make it hard for my players to get the thing? What are they going to fight? Who are they going to meet? So yeah, it all just starts to kind of like snowball together. And for me, and I I think for a lot of designers, the first thing you write is never what it ends up being. I will always go through, usually at the 11th hour, I will always have a a design change where it's like, no, this isn't what's happening. This is what's happening. Like for one of my D&D Beyond adventures, a storm celebration, my favorite part of that little adventure is the uh direwolf jousting which was not the first oh thing God. that i thought yeah right <laughs> right <laughs> and i was like what kind of celebratory events would a clan of orcs and half orcs have i'm like absolutely like i'm like i need one more thing and it was like three in the morning and i was like direwolf jousting <laughs> like absolutely absolutely
0: 3 a.m. lying in bed ideas and (laughs) uh, in the shower ideas Mm -hmm. are sometimes the best ideas. They
1: are. I carry so much paper with me because these ideas just like strike out of nowhere and I'm like, I have to get it down. If I don't get it down, it's going to go away.
0: Just listening to you talk about your process. I mean, I know that you're a lot further from that first time you were that someone told asked you hey do you want to write an adventure for us and you your reaction was i'm not a writer but you are 100% you've got a designer brain uh, in you so i hope that that imposter syndrome you've made some progress on that i have it's uh i mean it's it's hard you know we all
1: we deal with uh, creatives and non-creatives alike deal with imposter syndrome pretty much constantly but i think the more you do something the less the imposter syndrome immediately creeps up on you because you've got this barrier of your accomplishments Mm -hmm. that is like no imposter syndrome you have to get through all of these other things that i've done despite you to to give me bad brain today so uh yeah it's it's definitely come a lot a lot a lot farther than it was
0: do you feel like you have any little rituals or techniques of how to deal with bad brain imposter syndrome days yes
1: most of it involves me just kind of yelling at myself like really just the the hard truth like you have written things you are a good writer people like what you do. Like, I guess, I guess positive affirmation.
0: <laughs> yeah, but in a mean way. <laughs> right.
1: In a, like like uh, there's this mental image of me sitting at my desk right here. And then I'm right here, like wagging my finger at myself. Like you are good. You have done good things. Everyone is going, well, not everyone, but people like what you write. And that's the end of that. And I'm like, fine. <laughs>
0: You just kind of like list the facts mm-hmm. and then you're faced with this wall of facts. It's harder to let the, let that false voice in your head Absolutely. get to you. Absolutely. So let's move on to the Adventurers League. Cause this mm-hmm. year you've come into your role as the community manager for the Adventurers mm-hmm. League. And I admit, I'm like kind of really excited personally to talk to you about this, having been a community manager for AL myself. <laughs> so What went through your head when uh, someone approached you about that? And has it been what you expected?
1: So when I was approached, it was really out of the blue. My fellow community manager, Amy Lynn a wonderful, wonderful lady. I don't remember if it was over Facebook or if it was over Twitter. She was like, hey, we're looking to add another community manager and you were recommended to me. This is That's the thing that always gets me when people tell me that I was recommended for something. Because I'm like, who told? <laughs> <laughs> who said I was good at something? <laughs> and there was not an instant in my mind that I was like, I do, I don't want to do this. I was like, oh my gosh, yes. Put my name in whatever hat you need to and let's do this. So the offer was immediately like, yes, I want to do this. And so far, yeah, it's been really, it's been really fun. The current state of the world has kind of taken a lot of the things that I would normally be doing, at least in the community manager way, like, you know, going to the various conventions that Mm -hmm. I was already going to, but going in in an AL admin capacity to do stuff. And it's kind of taken that a little bit of the fun out of that. But the community is is wonderful every community's got its bad apples but everyone has been so nice and welcoming and i've been having a blast like just getting to talk to my fellow community managers who we call ourselves the fates because there's oh because
0: there's three of you Mm -hmm. that's awesome Super it's cute. been wonderful <laughs> well, uh, so for those who are less familiar with the adventurers league maybe well actually there might be folks who are watching who have no idea what the adventurers league mm-hmm. is so let us know well, let's start there what okay. is the DD uh adventurers league so
1: D adventurers league is wizards official organized play campaign so as the books, the you know the official storyline books are released. There's also an overarching storyline that Adventurers League plays through. That's kind of like the under campaign to whatever the official book is. So for Descent into Avernus, there's the Descent into Avernus book, but there's also the Adventurers League campaign, which is a series of one shots or two sh- or you know duologies or trilogies that take place in and around the Avernus situation. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: So it's almost like the, the the side stories of what's going on. Like the stories that we present in Adventures League are kind of caused or brought on or influenced by the Avernus book or whatever campaign book we've got going on. For example, since *Rime of the Frost Maiden* has been announced, there will also be an Adventurers League campaign that goes alongside that book.
0: Yeah, there's always like the main heroes are like on their quest, but there's always something else going on in the world, like mm-hmm. ramifications of these world changing events. Um, and Adventurers League kind of it, Adventurers League deals with those. Mm-hmm. So, what does a community manager do for the Adventurers League?
1: Every time someone asked me this, I said, well, we manage the community, of course. <laughs> no, we, um, we make the announcements. We help out with getting the, uh, the rules and, and events going. You know, we answer everybody's questions. We have to know all the things so that we can tell you the things. I've never really, like, I've never really had a concrete definition for what a
0: community manager does. I just know that I do it. <laughs> Community managers wear a lot of hats, Yeah, and they often end up taking on a bunch of roles. I've been in a number of community manager type roles, and the joke is always that you're kind of an everything manager. Mm-hmm. Um, I love what it feels like. <laughs> yeah. So you you wear a lot of hats as the AL community manager, but also as a writer, a streamer. You just joined Rivals, mm-hmm. uh, which, like, that's really exciting, <laughs> and just a member of the community. Like, you mentioned, like, you want to be involved in as many ways as possible, mm-hmm. So what has it meant to you wearing all of these hats as a woman in the hobby uh, and in the industry?
1: Yeah. Being in, in this position, there are times where I struggle with, you know, when, when the, when the bad brain days are really bad, it's like, what really am I doing in D&D and in the tabletop community? And one of the things that I kind of, kind of reconcile it with is like, at the very least, there are other women, there are other black women out there who are seeing a Black woman do something really awesome in the community. It's not part of, like, it's not a big part of the reason that I took, you know, I I do anything because I do the things that I do because I want to do them. But knowing that somebody can watch Beholder podcast live, or watch Rivals, or go to a convention and see me as a Black woman, or or Amy as a as a as a as a woman and Ma'ad as as a non-binary community manager, seeing people who usually do not have these roles in these roles, like it makes me just super happy.
0: Does that ever add pressure? Do you ever feel that in doing the things you do? Uh yes. Pretty frequently. There's always that, well, if you
1: do it badly, then it may be like, well, she can't handle it. So maybe somebody else can't handle it. Or we're not necessarily seen as unqualified, but there's always those underlying tones of, oh, well, she was only hired because, Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: that's not what, that's never been the reason that I've done anything ever. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So I just tell those people to kick rocks.
0: Yeah, I was just about to ask. Have people actually? Is that a hypothetical, or have people actually said that? It to you? is. It is a hypothetical. Okay. I have never. I was like, about to cancel this stream. Go, <laughs> go somebody punch up. somebody. Yeah. No.
1: Um. Though they're all hypotheticals. I have been extremely fortunate to encounter as little of that as possible. Whether it just be I, I managed to like you know avoid it, or I just have really good people around me. But I don't. I've never really. Um, encountered that in the community. So I'm very grateful for that.
0: I'm glad for that. But I think it's very interesting that knowing that, that that's happened to other people and that there that's a voice uh, mm-hmm. kind of in the back of your head anyway, that adds pressure to everything you do and some days it might be a little more like forward in your mind than others Mm -hmm. Uh, but i think that's important to recognize that marginalized genders and races and gosh if any marginalized person uh in this hobby has to deal with like a little bit extra even if they don't necessarily have like trolls all up in their business
1: Mm -hmm. like there's just the systemic barriers are already in place basically Mm -hmm. and you know even if you don't experience it as strongly as some other people do like just having those barriers in place is already kind of like a step back for some people
0: how do you deal with that especially when it is kind of forward in your mind or do you have advice if someone has someone approach them and kind of explicitly state those fears that they they have anyway How would you handle that situation? I
1: don't really know how I would handle it. I'm the kind of person that, like, in if someone ever approached me and said something super inflammatory like that, I'm the nervous laugher. So I'm not exactly sure what I would do. But what I would say to people is that if you are in the position that you are because of your work, you need to believe that. You need to. Continue to have that confidence because you're there for a reason. Mm -hmm. So, when you have detractors or people who come up to you and say that your work is crappy or you don't deserve to be where you are, like you're there for a reason. So, you need to like shut that brain voice down for a second and maybe even shut that physical person voice up. Like, just get out of there. Like, you don't need to listen to that Mm -hmm. because you know it's not true.
0: True. I know some people engaging with people is their way of dealing with things, but you just mentioned like kind of shutting them out. You also don't have to engage with exactly trolly people. Like they're not necessarily worth your time.
1: Exactly. And no is a complete sentence. Feel free to just, you know, shut it down, walk away, block that person, put your phone down. I'm a disengager. So Mm -hmm. if something like that happens to me, then I'm just going to like, no, not right now. Not ever, maybe, but definitely not right now.
0: And that's a totally valid way to respond. Mm -hmm. This was a lovely meandering conversation. And I just, I feel like you have such a breadth of experiences that just listening, you have a lot of wisdoms uh, that are nice to listen to, whether you know it or not. (laughs) Um, Then I guess with our last minutes, I kind of want to ask you, how has it been joining Rivals?
1: Rivals has been really wonderful before I dig into that for the last minute nola asks if i have any cats i do have a cat his name is (laughs) kenway he was named after an assassin we call him kenji he doesn't live with me but he is my big fat orange fluffy boy and i love him (laughs) but yes rivals joining rivals has been amazing because like i've been watching them since they since they came onto the scene at stream of many eyes and i was like i mean I think everybody was like watching a table of all black and brown people was, and they were Chicago based. The minute I, the minute I knew that I was like, one day <laughs> I re- like, really, like I was like, if ever, 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 ever. <laughs> Dreams
0: so to do be, come true. Yes.
1: So to be <laughs> asked to join the cast was literally a dream come true. I was over the moon. <laughs>
0: I'm really, really happy for you and just seeing you succeed and grow and flourish in our hobby. I know that I'm so sure it is very meaningful to a lot of people to see someone like them as a woman, as a Black woman, being given opportunities that you've been given and being able to flourish and represent. Uh, So thank you for everything that you do, Latia, for the community and for Adventurers League and just everybody Uh, so for folks who loved hearing this interview want to know more about you and any projects you work on uh, how can they find you on the interwebs twitter is the best
1: way to find me i'm at the lady tiefling on twitter i'm also at the lady tiefling on instagram so if you want to see pictures of kenway or just the other stuff that i do uh, you can find me there it was also mentioned in chat that i have started streaming so you can find me on twitch twitch.tv slash the lady where mostly i stream really chill minecraft it's one of my favorite games so i just kind of build and do whatever and we just have a nice
0: time in chat so i love me a gentle stream mm-hmm. <laughs> i think we need a lot of it now <laughs> oh yeah uh, oh thank you again latia for joining us thank you if you are enjoying this episode of Behold Her, consider supporting the podcast at Patreon.com slash Behold Her. Your contributions help us pay our editor, sponsor audio essays, and so much more. Special thanks to our latest Rose Buddies, Forty Below and Genevieve Schlemmer. You help make Behold Her possible. Thank you truly from the bottom of my heart. We are back uh, with our next Behold Her live interview, our first ever episode recorded live for all. Uh, we are now joined by Abria Iyengar or Abria Iyengar <laughs> who is the chief marketing officer for Dice Envy, a streamer and just all-around pillar of the community. So thank you for joining me for Behold Her. I'm so excited to talk to you. Oh my gosh thank you for having me. I am so excited to be here. I am uh, it's one of those like long-time listener
3: first-time caller. This is kind,
0: kind of same. geeking out though. Right <laughs>
3: I've, I've been, been a fan so I'm just like oh my god <laughs> hi ah, try hi. to
0: resist just going into full like geek sweats
3: <laughs> but
0: it's early That's I okay. <laughs> it's just like shoulders up you can just kind of like yeah right Just if just, you see me get just, very this low in
3: frame <laughs> we're just trying to hide some moisture it's fine don't worry
0: about it Well, I'm so excited to hear what your story uh, has been in the TRPG community. How about let's set the scene. Mm. Tell us, how did you get into into TRPGs? So I wrote in the way a lot of
3: women do. I was the girlfriend of my now husband, who uh, his, his like group of friends, like they were mutual friends, but they're mostly his like board game friends were like, let's try D&D. Oh, Abria! I guess you can come too, and you can be the healer. And I didn't realize how big a trope that was right away. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll be the cleric. This is fine. And after about two sessions of Horde of the Dragon Queen, I was like, I'm a warlock now, and I like this more than everyone. (laughs) (laughs) So I went from zero to 100 on it very quickly, just because uh, I have a stand-up and improv background. And I was like, oh this is all the fun of being performative without the like, I don't know, all the other stuff that comes with having to like perform for strangers. So it scratched a lot of itches immediately. So uh, I went from a home game to Adventures League. I was all over the West side of LA. Just like, do you have a game? Do you have a game? Can I get in? <laughs> what are you running? What's this module? <laughs> Let me just slide my bard on into there. So I was <laughs> obnoxious for like the first year all over LA. And then yeah, Happy Jacks was my first like stream community. And funnily enough, I like, I grew up on D&D fifth edition.
0: Mm-hmm. And
3: uh, that, this is all by the way, like in the last like four years. So I'm relatively new to the community. I've tried to make up for it in sheer volume of games. <laughs> Catching up, yeah, exactly. But then everything, like most of the stuff I did at Happy Jacks, was learning uh, other RPG systems and realizing that the world was like pretty wide and broad as well as deep. And then eventually coming back to uh, the first like stream campaign I ran was D and D. It was Waterdeep Dragon Heist, and I've kind of never looked back from there. And now I stream a bunch,
0: and it's really, really yeah. good fun. What's nice about Dungeons and Dragons as well not necessarily I don't know if there is a perfect game out there so it's not necessarily a perfect game but it is definitely I think the most well-known game of its genre so it is a great gateway it really is
3: and it has this really nice benefit especially in comparison to a lot of indie games it's got like good structure to it and I think especially for people like trying to figure out what collaborative storytelling with like a random num- like number generator in order to like add in some uh, chaos what that even feels like it's nice to have this structure of you can pick martial classes that are a little easier to like just pick up and run with like I'm a fighter my fighter comes with like a rock and I smack people with it good I've got it or you can get like really into the weeds with wizards and picking like spells and like the intersection of like types of magic and the kind of like flavor you want to put on your caster so I feel like it's got really good bones and really good structure to help people like learn about what tabletop roleplay games are period so I feel like it's the the big dog in the game for like a reason like a really good reason Mm -hmm.
0: so I've heard you mention cleric then warlock you alluded to bard (laughs) do you have a favorite class or type of character to play I am a huge fan of charisma based casters so, oh my gosh, <laughs> a woman of my heart. Okay. <laughs> <Yes>.
3: <laughs> uh, I think I. it's really funny. I, I'm i super fiddly and I love playing with lots of stats, but I feel like I always come back to Warlocks all the time, even though it's like, yeah, there's like two spell slots and it's actually like pretty simple. It's one of the simpler casters to pick up and run with because you don't have a ton of uh, like stuff to keep up with as far as your spell casting goes. But there's something so interesting to me about the relationship between a warlock and their patron and all the different Mm -hmm. ways that that can manifest and what it means to like the internal life of the character that like i feel like i come back to warlock all the time i love i love bards i think all of us here are like yeah like i'm a bard in real life and i'm a bard (laughs) in my game but i can't help but come back to warlocks every time because it's just it's so interesting
0: Do you have a favorite warlock that you've played in particular in terms of that like patron warlock relationship you mentioned? Yes. In my current home game that I'm playing in and not running,
3: I play a uh, hexblade warlock. One, hexblade, amazing, stupendous. You get to do so much and feel like this great utility on both martial and casting. Uh, Like Mm -hmm. the kit is just phenomenal. And I love this idea of making a character that like it's a sort of like, well, surprise! You're a warlock. So, like in the backstory, uh, Bay, I named a character Bay. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not oh. sorry about it. <laughs> and I sprinkle my eldritch blast, and it's never super- apologize for Bay. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, she like is like the leader of a foreign land that like inadvertently died and was brought back by the Raven Queen. So she's sort of a warlock by like not by choice, where she's like, I guess I owe you. Sure. Let's go oh. deal with Orcus. You're very weird. We don't talk very much. I'm not a huge fan of birds. The peripheral vision when they kind of just flutter in. So she has this like weird fear of birds and like a weird relationship with her. Oh my god. I, I love it because she's just sort of neurotic and sassy. Like me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to play All not. my
0: characters okay. are secretly me. Right? Oh my gosh. Okay.
3: Sorry. I know you're supposed to be running the interview, but like, how often do you feel like you play a character that is just like some strong aspect of yourself? Is that all?
0: I always, I feel like I've been, I mean, I've also been told that all of my characters... Have like some sort of like really strong like quirk that makes them kind of weird but lovable, and I feel like that's an aspect of my personality. Like, I explore different little bits of my personality that way. Are you the same? Oh, yeah, hard same. Oh man, it feels
3: so good though. It's like this weird, sort of therapeutic, like, okay, I feel like I noticed this about myself. What if I like push that to the forefront and really explore what it means and kind of like play in the sandbox? of like parts of your
0: personality and I I don't know it feels really cool. Is it a conscious thing like a purposeful decision that you make or something you kind of realize after? I feel like it's a thing I realize after
3: like I would love to be one of those people that's like I made a very long like like discussion about my internal no I just made a weird choice and then realized later on usually like months down the line when the character like is its own thing and I can like sort of compartmentalize it to like Bay is different from Abria, and yet like she's not cause I feel like I'm dealing with this like sense of like responsibility and like the begrudging, begrudging being put upon to mm-hmm. be a certain kind of person for people like, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think like later you just sort of like find a way to put parts of yourself into your characters
0: and that's like what
3: makes them feel truthful and meaningful. And-
0: feel like that's part of what makes TRPGs like one of my favorite hobbies because it it really is, I mean, it's a game and it's storytelling, but part of it feels real. Yeah. I guess like the interactions are real. The bonds you're forming with your party are real because there's a little bit of you in that character. Yeah. And in their characters, little bits of them. Like I will always that first group of friends
3: that like, I didn't necessarily feel like super close to before we started that campaign. It lasted like three or four years and now they have this like space in my head where I'm like, yeah, do you remember that time when we like stopped Tiamat and we like pushed her back in a hole? And like, I understand that that didn't actually happen, but like all of those emotional highs, like those are real and they have like impressed upon me, like this sense of camaraderie with the group that even though we were doing, fake things in our brains like the emotions are real and like that bonding is real and like that's the cool part of rpgs for me is that you can live a lot of lives and like carry all of those like cathartic and and like wonderful experiences with you the whole time even though it was just words you were saying at a table and not me being like out in the streets slapping dragons
0: (laughs) (laughs) but also life goals. Right. Um, Please give me I that
3: opportunity. The way yeah. 2020 is going, honestly, maybe.
0: We might be slapping dragons right? by December.
3: Would not be surprised <laughs> if Tiamat is a is like low-key responsible for at least like 12% of this. Murder Hornets feel like her bag. That feels like oh hers. <laughs>
0: murder hornets maybe they were scouting Oh right? no! i'm very worried right now they're
3: just tiny dragons and no one got close enough to realize it's not big bees tiny dragons there you go <laughs> equal like equal amounts of fear in my brain if you say huge bee or tiny dragon
0: same clench like oh oh no no thank you <laughs> Oh, Lisa's just, I'm just going to perish by the end of this interview. (laughs) Yeah, I was Um, sent before I
3: arrived watching you, (laughs) Matia, talk. I was, uh, it's just been a great morning so far.
0: (laughs) So how did you make this transition from going full in on D&D to DMing and GMing games? Ooh, I think it's all kind of based in this, like, I also like
3: writing and uh, I've done a little bit of like, script work and like punch up so like yeah writer background and then I realized that the modules never came out fast enough <laughs> sorry d and I need more all the time <laughs> please and thank you and I think there was a lot of uh, there's always a really strong sense of like I love chasing the tables fun so we would go off on like weird long tangents and I would end up having to like throw like Universe in front of my players when they're like, "Oh, I guess we're just gonna go to the left and not deal with anything from like the Frost Giants. We'll just we'll go over here and you guys can start a bakery." So I think I got so into the idea of like writing extra content for my like for the like little bit of campaign work that I was doing when I was running stuff because I also did it. Uh, I was a, a DM for some of the kids I used to tutor a lot, so like their parents would be like, "Oh, hey, when you're finished with math." we invited four of his friends over and you're going to run Storm Storm King's Thunder. I'm like, okay, this is fine. (laughs) So the more I was kind of riding around the edges of like campaigns, I realized it was this like like cycle of like wanting to do more. I was like, oh, I have more ideas. And that means I want to like share them with more people. So it just became this like hungry, hungry hippo of like grabbing more opportunities to tell stories and to create characters and like, I don't know, just play with these little like half ideas and see if across a campaign they could become something. (laughs) And sometimes they don't and sometimes they do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any favorite tips you like to share with other GMs? Ooh. Also, you've GMed on stream a bunch. So I'm wondering if you have tips like for GMing in general and then is it different when you're doing it in front of a live audience? Oh,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a a massive difference between like stream GMing and home game GMing. One, the pacing is just so incredibly different. With a home game, you take breaks like for snacks and bio breaks and it's part of this relaxed like sense of like hanging out that I think it takes a lot. Like there are plenty of tables that are like, very serious, and we're here to play, but it's really easy to break into, oh, this moment reminds me of like some movie that I was watching, and like the ability to flow back and forth between the fiction that you're weaving together and like how that affects your real life. like I feel like in a home game, you're always a little more aware that you're a person hanging out with your friends, and something about stream games to me feel a little more like you're dropped into a character, and it reminds me more of like acting and Mm -hmm. sort of like putting on a role for an amount of time. So I think my biggest tip for GMs in the stream world is establishing and preservation of tone. And this is a thing that I did not start with and I'm literally still working on myself. Uh, I've had a lot of good GMs in the world like Frankly Emily and like Zach Eubank and like just a ton of people who are really good at saying like The mood that we're going to define for the duration of this dream is this and you're going to be aware of it and everything i'm going to do i will curve like down to the cadence and my physical appearance will be a reinforcement of that tone and i i feel like it helps players like sit in and live in like the fiction for as long as the cameras are rolling and i think that's doubly important like right now we're all kind of dealing with like remote streaming and how that feels. And I am in my house right now. And there's a cat over there that wants to be touched, but only a little bit and then he will smack (laughs) my hand. And there's just a hundred thousand other things around you. So I think the ability to like find something to leech onto and feel like you're pulled into the moment and can't easily be distracted by the sundry things around you is like super important. And Mm -hmm. like a general GM tip, I think, when you are uh, establishing places, especially things that don't have like a ton of box text associated with them, when you're like, oh, you walk into the inn and you meet <laughs> Jarmathy Biggins, the innkeeper, and you're kind of just like making stuff up on the fly. I'm a huge fan of the improv Trick of like, Decide one thing that's a hard truth for the person or the place or the thing or the ideology that you're trying to present to the group and let everything else flow from that and play the like, if this is true, then what's the next thing that's true? So if Jarmathy Biggins is terrified of trees, just make a weird decision. What else is true because of that? Like... Is he the one bartender whose like entire like facility is made of stone instead of like well worn wood, and what does that mean? Is he weird when druids come in like what does that mean like How does he <laughs> feel about like pets like there's so many other things you can think about if this one big weird idea is true, and it can actually make the whole world feel like it makes sense because like players, even if they're not actively trying to like pop holes in your like reasoning uh everyone's always low-key aware of like consistency it's why Mm -hmm. there's a hundred thousand video essayists on youtube about like plot holes and inconsistencies in fiction so if you decide one thing it can be super wild like the innkeeper that hates trees but everything else that flows from that as long as it makes sense and reaffirms that core truth like everyone will be like 100% more bought in on dealing with Jarmathy and his weird in from there on and it's really easy as like for note-taking purposes to write down one thing that's true because then everything else is just a decision you make that like reaffirms that weird truth.
0: Can I just say, and I'm going to say this for our listeners who aren't experiencing chat with us oh, yeah. uh, right now, that chat has exploded with love for Jarmathy Biggins. <laughs> we stand one terrified of trees in Keeper. <laughs> I love the thought that his building would be of stone because he's even afraid of dead trees. Right. I would, if I were in this campaign, put my adventurer's life on the line for Jarmathy. (laughs) So thank you for this
3: gift. (laughs) I would sacrifice everything for Jarmathy. Also, I'm sorry about the name. I can't think of NPC names. And I just mushed together names of people from like my kindergarten class.
0: And I'm like, all right. Makara, that's a name too. (laughs) And I'm sorry. Oh boy. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Long live Jarmathy down with the trees in chat. This is... What a delight. (laughs) Okay. I could talk about Jarmathy for another hour, but I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about another aspect of um, your professional life, which is that you work for a company called Dice Envy. I do. So tell me, give us the Dice Envy pitch and then tell us what your role is there. Okay.
3: So there's so many very cool, very awesome dice makers in the space. And I think the big idea here is that it's not that we're all like Competing with the same sets of dice to the same audience. I think there's different kinds of dice for different kinds of players. And uh, Dice Envy's sort of hedgehog concept, referencing Good to Great, which is a weird business book. I don't know, it's pretty good, is that uh, we are for the irreverent, like the sort of like goofy bard in the corner, the Sam Regals, if you will. So all of our dice, well, most of our dice usually have like a very goofy name that uh, is a little wink to the fact that like, when you're in an, an RPG game, like, it's fun. And that's, that's it at the end of the day. So we have a set of dice that looks like Captain America themed. And they're called America's... Oh, I don't know if I can say it. <laughs> you're swear. allowed to say it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have, like, cool swirled purple and blue dice that are, like, Lich Slap and Vibe Check. And, like, <laughs> just sort of that, like, when you can't help but let pop culture and... A grin leak through in your game, so that those are dice envy dice, and I am the uh, I'm currently the chief marketing officer, so if there's a set of dice names that you like, I'm probably the one that named them, and other than that, I'm also the person that posts on socials not
0: frequently enough so sorry I, I about definitely that too. <laughs> noticed dice envy has like some of my favorite names for dice. Every time you do do a tweet, like to promote some new dice, I'm like, that's super cheeky. No, it's a dice nv tweet without even looking at the little icon <laughs> next to the tweet.
3: Thank you. Uh, so
0: That branding is tight. Oh, thank you
3: so much. <laughs> it's also very fun. It's, I think it's just the most me I can make dice because I do feel that like, as much as I love holding like serious tone in games, I have to work very hard at it as both a player and a GM. So mm-hmm. I feel like Dice Envy is like my opportunity to just be like a cheeky little imp in the corner and just like, ha 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 ha, these dice are named after musical theater concepts. This is the game we're playing today and sort of <laughs> run off. And we have a cool monthly box too. So uh, if you have never had enough dice, we will send you them every month. And COVID has been kind of wild. So, uh, Dealing with like the backlog of stuff from factories. Unfortunately, this last month had to be the Maple box because we had to mix them together because time doesn't mean anything anymore. So that
0: is true. Just mush months together, it's fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maple. <laughs> is there an aspect to producing dice, running a dice company that you think nobody realizes, but that, that they should know? I think the big thing
3: is realizing like, the amount of, like, time dilation that happens between conception of, like, a dice type, and then, unless you are one of these awesome, like, handmade dice people that can, like, literally, like, go and have an idea and get the materials immediately and pour it off and, like, make it and sell off individual sets, it's a lot of discussion between manufacturers and a lot of us have multiple manufacturers, so we have to go, like, can you make this? Is concrete dice a thing? Do you want to do that? Do you have a spot open? Like, so there's mm-hmm. so many narratives and going back and forth and sampling and making sure like, oh, when I said red, I meant this specific Pantone and that's on me. I'm very sorry. So like lots of back and forth to go from ideation to realization with sets. So uh, it can be a little like, it's hard when you have like a cool idea of something that's like kind of in like the zeitgeist and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, so the new, the new D&D, like, module that was announced or actually mythic odyssey of Theros is another one that like when i first heard about it i was like oh we should figure out how to do some dice about it and we're still figuring it out because it just takes months upon months to go and actually have a physical product that you can offer and i think that's like probably the biggest thing that a lot of people don't know is that it takes a really long time to get math rocks (laughs)
0: Huh. <laughs> that makes me extra appreciate, like, every cool new release I see you all do, just knowing how much work and how many people are involved, really, to getting that final product out there. Oh, thank you. <laughs> also, so by you... the way, I remember when you, like, you first, like,
3: tweeted something about I 70, and I was in a staff meeting, and I saw it, and I screamed, and, like, <laughs> a little bit threw my iPad at the at my boss,
0: and it was... <laughs> super awkward. (laughs) So thanks for that. I really like Dice Envy. I'm going to squee a little bit about Dice Envy. What I like about Dice Envy, aside from the cheeky names, is that you all produce a lot of like really pretty dice that have like little designs around numbers and such. I really love the heart dice that you all produce. But what's difficult about those dice, those dice styles, is that a lot of times it makes it really difficult to read. But I feel like Dice Envy has a really good balance of being legible and beautiful at the same time. Thank you. I think that's also a big, thank
3: you so much. Uh, (laughs) I think that's also part of the like, the process of going from like design idea. And also uh, I am the sole, uh, in addition to being the sole person of color, I'm also the sole woman (laughs) in our company. So a lot of my design choices and aesthetic are like, make it purple and fiddly add glitter. So there's usually there's usually a lot of like, I guess we'll let Abrea's idea get sampled out. And then it's illegible. Because I'm like, oh, all the glitter's <laughs> on the top. And it's just, you just mm-hmm. have to grab the dye and like put it inside your eyeball to see what the number is. So trying to get that balance like usually takes a lot of work and a lot of tamping down of enthusiasm from certain people. But thank you. It's hard. Like, Trying to make sure that the dice are useful on top of being, like, as fussy as I can get away with it (laughs) is is a fun (laughs) problem. Yeah.
0: You create math rocks with Dice Envy, you stream a whole bunch, and you GM, and you play in games. What does it mean to you in both the hobby and the industry to be a woman in these roles?
3: I think it's kind of a, like, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of expectation to always represent like an underrepresented population well. Cause like when I first started off with Adventures League games, I quite often was the only woman there or one of like one or two or yeah, just sort of that like tokenism problem that I Mm -hmm. feel like in addition to like the sort of stress of being the one woman there and trying to make a good impression and prove to some of the, less flexible players that like women make good players and like the things that we care about aren't detractions from the narrative and aren't like weird distractions and we're not like the big pile of tropes and stereotypes that like some players think we are when we come to a table. But uh, I think it's really fun because I think the moment you become, or you come in from the outside, to a space you have new like it's like a breath of fresh air and there's new things to offer and like the the creative concepts that can come from women and people of color and like lgbtqia people like we have different perspectives and we have different ways that we can approach scenarios so i love that like i don't come from like a high fantasy love like i'm not a huge lord of the rings fan sorry about it it's fine. Or a like strong sense of like Western European wargaming. So when I approach problems, it's usually through the lens of like my favorite kinds of fiction, which are like anime and like action movies and comedies. So all of that filters how I approach things, which is why I tend to play charisma casters the most because I like that party face, And if I can like lie or trick my way out of a scenario rather than like, going toe to toe and just fighting my way through it like those are things i prefer and i think that's part of the perspective that like i bring to a table that might not be there for people who have different like backgrounds and paths of accessing and becoming a part of the D &D community
0: if that makes any sense if it didn't i'm sorry that makes total sense and (laughs) If I, if I speak only for myself, but I kind of have the feeling I'm speaking for a lot in chat and probably folks listening, I love that breath of fresh air that you are bringing uh, to the community. If folks want to read more about what you're doing, what's coming up next for you, how can they find you on the interwebs?
3: Oh, uh, you can catch me uh, on on all social media at Quiddie, Q-U-I-D-D-I-E. And I stream a bunch, so I'm not gonna like spend minutes trying to remember because I'll always forget like three (laughs) things. But if you follow me, uh, especially on Twitter, uh, I can keep you all up to date with where you can catch me on any given day. Oh, but you can't catch me later today at three. So come
0: back (laughs) for that. I had so much fun chatting with you. I wish we had like a million more minutes. Persephone is a model and cosplayer known for her TTRPG and social commentary. Find her on Twitter at Persephroth. That's P-E-R-S-E-P-H-I-R-O-T-H. In this audio story sponsored by RPG Writer Workshop, Sephi challenges you to expand your vision of the fantasy genre.
2: Hello, my name is Persephone Valentine. I'm an actress, a gamer, and sort of a model. I'm also black and trans. Let me tell you a story. When I was 20 or so, I joined a new gaming group with a few friends of mine. They had been gaming together for a while and wanted me to join their next campaign. I, like any excited tabletop nerd, jumped at the chance. We were all sitting in my friend's living room, sprawled on Any surface we could find, the floor, the couch, a beanbag, a pillow, just tossed on the carpet. And we started talking about potential characters. This somehow devolved into, well, what race would you be if they were real? I'd be a dwarf, said my friend David. Tiefling for me, Lisa said. Troll because I am one, Tommy said. Then it got to me. I smiled and said, Elf. I'd be an elf. Oh, which kind? Hi, I think I'd be great as some regal being. Amanda, who hadn't gotten to say hers yet, looked at me and said, You can't be a high elf. Uh, why? Because they're not dark-skinned. Only wood elves are. I may have paused there but there was an actual pause in the room. David piped up. Are we talking like Tolkien? Yeah, Amanda said. Tracks with D&D, right? High elves can't be any skin tone. No, but you can be a wood elf. A wood elf. Allow me to refresh or enlighten you to some facets of Tolkien's lore. All of his elves, whether wood or high, were pale. Wood elves were looked down upon by the other elves as, well, lowborn, despite them sharing essentially the same skin tone. In D&D lore, at least with 3, 5, and 4, the skin tones for wood elves and high elves were light to copper or the color of sun and moonlight. But still they had that tolkien-style class divide things like this aren't uncommon in any type of gaming whether it's the sea of white protagonists in video games or the white faces on every popular actual play the status quo reflects this more than that many white people don't question it and they say things like what amanda said in my story fantasy at its core intrinsic meaning means a dream a fancy of the imagination. Our imaginings are colored by our ideas, our passions, our beliefs. In Amanda's dream, and in Tolkien's, and in the many others that have been published that are white, people like me don't exist. We're not a part of their imaginings. We're not a part of their idealized fantasy reality. And if we are we're lesser. We can be wood elves, but not high elves, because that is what they believe. It's what they see. It reflects their views in reality. Let's go back to Tolkien with a quick example. The high elves with their pale faces, regal attitude, wisdom, and immortality are a heightened ideal of whiteness. They reflect Tolkien's idea of what the greatest people could be, And when he wondered about that, he saw paleness. Similarly, when creating the tribal orcs, he made them the colors he associated with war, viciousness, and quote-unquote, savagery. And so, they were dark. That is our place in the codex of a core fantasy text. We are lesser, not great. We are beasts, not feeling, emotional creatures. And that's wrong. It's my belief that fantasy right now, be it books, games, novels, whatever, are stagnant. They are boring because the same people get the ability and the money to make things, to get marketing, to get attention. You can see in everything from The Witcher to popular streamers playing games to famous TTRPG groups. Because the same kind of faces with works flavored by the same kinds of influences, are the biggest representation available. And, well, it's no wonder fantasy seems boring these days. The way to give an old thing life is to bring in new experiences. The only way to revive fantasy, to make it interesting again, to make it fresh, is to allow others in others with other understandings of the world, other views of culture, other views of gaming, people who are queer or black. I have spent my entire life being told I can't be something, be it because of my race, because of my gender, because of my presentation, because my hair is curly, or because I don't fit a white standard of beauty. And I, and all others like me, are tired of it. It's time for our stories to be told, to let our faces be seen, to let fantasy grow to include us. Because dreams are limitless only when their range is. And right now, fantasy media is anything but. If anything, fantasy is a walled-in sort of square that only certain people are allowed in while the others remain on the outskirts. It's time for change. It's time for new blood. To open up to experiences beyond what has been available. And in doing so, a new dream can be made, one that will expand the minds of everyone. When it does, when our faces are seen, when our stories are told, when people digest them as much as everything else that has been came before, that is when the dream, the fantasy, becomes truly limitless. I'm Persephone Valentine. I'm black, I'm trans, I'm queer, and I can be a goddamn elf if I want to be. Screw you, Amanda. Bye.
0: Persephone has donated the proceeds from her audio story to the Trans Women of Color Collective charity. If you enjoyed hearing her story, consider making a donation as well. You can go to TWOCC.US to donate. Thank you, Sefi, Abria, and Latia, for sharing your stories with Behold Her. Remember, if you love hearing these stories from femme gamers, you can help make Behold Her happen by supporting Patreon.com beholdher Behold Her. Hope to see you there.